Well, good morning. And once again, it is my privilege to be with you at Beargrass Christian Church as we are considering our theme for the three weeks of which we are in the middle now, faithful, hopeful, loving. And once again, I have come with a question. And the question this time is, what do you hope for? And not only what do you hope for, but what gives you hope? What gives you hope? I remember when, 24 years ago now, we moved to southern Indiana for the uh, calling I took at First Christian Church in Jeffersonville, and we moved our family from Medina, Ohio, and, and it was a rough move for the kids. It was a real challenge for them to be in a different place than they had ever been before with people they didn't know, and I had come to take this job that I felt that I had been called to take, but, uh, but the rest of the family wasn't so sure. <laughs> And uh, for our oldest son, 15 at the time, he suddenly began to have hope that we could move back to Medina, Ohio, because we had received a notice from the publisher's clearinghouse that we had won the sweepstakes. And he was convinced that we were, and, and certainly, you know, I wouldn't need the job so we could go back where we came from and all will be well and and most of that summer every time something came from publishers clearinghouse you could see Dan busily filling it out and asking for a stamp and putting it in the mailbox he had this great hope that we would win in fact he was sure of it now it was hard to break it to him that he had a one in 1.7 billion chance of winning not exactly a sure thing, more wishful thinking than hope, right? Hope, hope does not necessarily mean that things we wish hard enough will come true. There's a difference between hope and wishful thinking. I, I spent a little time crowdsourcing on the internet this week. I put up a post and asked people to say, what is it that gives you hope? And respond on my Facebook page. And I got all kinds of interesting answers. Um, I, 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 gardening was one. That gardening gave someone hope. And if you think about it, taking that handful of seeds that for all intents and purposes look to be dead and lifeless and putting them in the ground and covering them and watering them and waiting is a hopeful process. But it's not just wishful thinking because past experience tells us that the seeds will grow and soon there'll be a garden and there will be fruit from that garden. Vegetables, a harvest. Because of experience, we know that it's not just a, a, a wishful thought, but it will happen. Uh, folks talked about nature and the hope they get from the continuing cycle of nature that yes we move through fall and winter but then comes spring and summer and this cycle goes on even as surely as the sun rising in the east and setting in the west and we have every expectation and hope that it will come up again tomorrow now one person posted on my page that teenagers gave them hope it made me wonder if they had any <laughs> <laughs> but the reality is, is that, yeah, there's a lot of reason to be hopeful if you spend time around young people. They have a lot of interesting and great ideas. They are not overwrought with the angst of the challenge of trying to see the world 
and the better place it could become. There's a lot of hope in teenagers in their energy and their enthusiasm and their willingness to try. I, I could see where indeed they are hopeful. And several people wrote grandchildren. That was a no-brainer. Always have hope when I look at my grandchildren. Some said the Pfizer vaccine or some kind of vaccine was giving them hope. The idea that we could overcome and move through this COVID-19 experience that continues to keep us separate from one another. And here again is probably a good moment where we could distinguish between wishful thinking and hope. Wishful thinking is not wearing a mask, not washing your hands and staying close to a lot of people in a lot of different places and then saying, I hope I don't get the virus. That's kind of wishful thinking. There's some hope if we follow the science that if we wear a mask and keep our hands clean and don't touch our face too often and try to keep away from other people that maybe we won't get the virus. Another person wrote on my page that her students gave her hope. And I suppose they could put that with teenagers. Oh, I know that she's a professor in college. And it was sort of the same reasoning that their minds were open to possibilities that some of us have become a bit too jaded to see anymore. Some told stories. One told the story of a Down syndrome man who completed an Ironman competition in Florida. Another talked of a little girl who was receiving treatments for leukemia and she could not trick or treat. And, it, and children who didn't even know her came by her home and left candy. And I don't mean just taking out a couple of the pieces they might not have preferred. They took their whole pillowcase and bag and dumped it on the front porch. A reason to have hope when we see the best of ourselves in one another. I, I learned a few things this week while researching hope. I did not know that there was a bird of hope. It's the dove. I suppose that makes some sense. There's an animal, the dog, and I guess dog people were responsible for that one. There was a number associated with hope, the number four. Now, I have tried to find out why that is, and I've not had any luck, but four is a number associated with hope. There were flowers of hope, sunflowers, daffodils, cactus flowers, colors of hope, yellow, orange, blue, green, and red, aromas of hope, peppermint and lavender, sounds of hope, ocean waves, wind chimes, and waterfalls, symbols of hope, butterflies, rainbows, babies, hot air balloons, stars, lighthouses, waterfalls, candles, sunrise and sunset, and the cross. And the person of hope was listed as Jesus. Makes a certain amount of sense, doesn't it? You see, the biblical witness is constantly trying to remind us that the God who set the world in motion in Genesis will ultimately complete it in Revelation in such a way that God will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This sense of hope that is grounded in expectation, that's grounded in a reality of experience. 
this notion that God always shows up. Now, it doesn't mean that we escape loss or sorrow. Life is hard. And this is where Paul begins. Paul, Paul really, this argument we're hearing this morning from Scripture has begun back in the fifth chapter of Romans, where Paul talks about our human weakness and our suffering, and he talks about suffering producing endurance and endurance producing character and character producing hope. The idea that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That that was the reason enough to have hope. And so for, for three more chapters, Paul is running this argument out and building to this climax we have in Romans chapter 8. That there is hope, not because we have escaped the world and its problems, but because there is one who has already prevailed against them. Life is hard. The Bible is willing to make that acknowledgement over and over again. It is filled with uncertainties. People do terrible things to people. Systems are created that then have a life of their own that grind people up in oppression and injustice. The world is a difficult place, so difficult where our argument in Scripture picks up this morning from Paul is that we're not even sure what to pray about. We don't even know what words to use. We're not sure how to discern in any given moment what the will of God might be. And Paul grants this assurance that the Spirit intercedes, that the Spirit is connected to God and the Spirit intercedes for us so that we can direct and know and move closer to, toward the will of God, that we can understand it. And Paul goes on to say that, that all things work for good, for those who love God, who are called according to God's purpose. Now, I have to stop here for just a moment because this phrase has often been taken out of context and we have often misappropriated and misheard the phrase to say that everything happens for a reason. That is not what Paul says here. It, 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 it's, it's akin to those verses like, God helps those who help themselves. It's in First Hesitations 12.6, I think. That's where those verses have been accumulated, somewhere in the extra-biblical material, not within Scripture itself. I, I am not interested in hearing that everything happens for a reason. And if you've known difficulty and hardship in your life, I'm guessing that has not been much comfort to you at all. Even though well-meaning people say it in an effort to give comfort to you or perhaps for themselves, not being sure what else to say. That is not what Paul says here. Paul does not say that everything happens for a reason. It would be cruel to believe that that some of the things that have happened in your life or mine, God had intentionally and purposefully manifest so that some other good might happen. The death of my own granddaughter is the closest example I have. I'll never understand how, how a loving God would cause that to happen so something good might come of it. It doesn't mean something good hasn't arisen from the ashes of that moment and the despair, the difficulty, the desperation of that moment. 
but to believe that God somehow caused it so that we would learn some lesson is a load of crap. And if I wasn't in the pulpit, I might have stronger words outside in the back for us to consider. Sometimes the church does bad theology and we just need to call it out. You see, that's, that's not what Paul is driving at here at all. And when he goes on to, to talk about being predestined, what he is essentially trying to say is, again, not that certain people get in and some don't and God knew it from the beginning, but this whole idea that from beginning to end God is working to reconcile the whole creation to himself. That, that, that God is working for salvation, that God is seeking to heal the rift, that God is seeking to shut down the chaos that interrupts our lives. From the very moment God separated light from darkness and began to order creation until the very last moment when all is reconciled and in the presence of God, God is seeking to tamp down this chaos and bring order. You see, that's where our hope is. That's where our real hope is, that there's, there's more to this than we can see. There's more going on that we know, but we know in Jesus certain things that give us confidence that our ultimate hope is, is not in getting a thousand likes for a post on Facebook, that, that our ultimate hope is not being admitted to a certain college or graduating from a well-known university, that our ultimate hope is not in having the right house or the right zip code, that, that our ultimate hope is not in getting that promotion at work or landing a job with a particular company so we get X, Y, or Z salary. It, it, it's not in a politician or a political process or a political party. Our ultimate hope is not in the purity of a particular kind of an economic system. Our ultimate hope is in the unfailing love of God. A love which Paul goes on to say, nothing can separate us from it. Not one thing, which makes me wonder how come in the church sometimes we have always been busy trying to separate each other from that grace, right? And trying to sort out who gets it and who doesn't. You know, it, it, this, this last election was tough. There were, there were some who could say just by how they figured I voted that I wasn't a Christian, that I wasn't a godly person. Just by the political party I affiliated with, whether or not I'd voted, somehow I was a really bad person. And, and the church has been guilty of this. We've tried to separate people for a long time. I, when, when did you get baptized? As an infant or an adult? And how much water did you use? Did you just get damp or did they hold you under till you bubbled, right? How do you read a particular passage of scripture? What is it about the nature of Jesus' birth or how it is that Jesus will return? If you don't believe these certain things, well, you're separate. But you know what? That's not what Paul says. Paul says there isn't any height, depth, nor anything in all creation that can separate us from the love of God. God, from the very moment that creation was imagined, has wanted to be in a loving, hope-filled relationship with all of creation. And our job, our job as the church is to proclaim that and to point to it when and where we see it. What is it that gives us hope, real hope, in the world? Maybe it's in the dementia caregiver support group that, 
that's been led by David Horn as a part of this church's wider ministry to the community in the, in the 10 or so years of its existence, it has helped people and offered hope who are caring for loved ones who have dementia. And the hope and support folks have found there is beyond words. People constantly comment that they didn't know what they would have done had it not been for that group and those connections and advice and support received from other people who were experiencing the same thing and knew it. Someone separated from their mind. Someone separated from their family. But not from the love of God. You can... You can feel it sometimes. This hope is palpable in the warm pajamas that we do for Family Scholar House. Listen to Kathy Dykstra who, who runs that organization talk about how that is a sign to these kids that they are safe. Because maybe for the first time in their lives they're not having to sleep in their clothes for fear in the middle of the night they will have to run in terror. Those pajamas are a tangible sign of hope that their life is changing. You can see it in the eyes of those finally getting to come to this, con this country through the Kentucky Refugee Resettlement Ministry. Eyes wide open with hope for a future of opportunity and seeing a community which supports them as a sign of hope. You can hear it. I heard it a few weeks ago in the children's voices as they performed music for us in worship. What a blessed moment that was and how we have adapted in this time of distance learning to still bring people together, our young people in particular. The sound of music is itself so hopeful. In fact, I, I think Paul might have gone just a little bit Marvin Gaye on us here. Right? Ain't no mountain high enough. Right? Ain't no valley deep enough. Ain't no river wide enough to keep me from getting to you. That's what he's saying. God is saying about us through Jesus. You can smell it cooking in the kitchen when they're preparing meals for fed with faith. You can taste it in the bread and wine at this table. Signs of hope. Signs of promise, signs that the way things are is not the way they will always be, nor is it the way they need to be. And we are invited. We are invited as God's people to become those signposts of hope through our acts of generosity and compassion, through our willingness to work with one another and realize that the person across the table from me, across the street from me, across the city from me, across the country from me, across the world from me, is so loved by God that nothing, not even death, can separate them. Through Jesus Christ our Lord and the church said, Amen.